0: One of the things that artists can struggle with the most is feedback. We're often recommended to seek out advice, to seek out feedback, to get critiques, often with the idea that, you know, we need a little bit of tough love, but often these critiques can be harsh. And I think a lot of artists can find it quite challenging to know both how to seek out a proper critique, and then how to take it when you get it, how to integrate it, how to actually use it, how to make the idea of feedback useful. What I'm going to do is share with you the key insights that I've learned both giving and receiving really harsh critiques over the years as an amateur artist and also as a professional teacher who has given a lot of really harsh critiques and a lot of important career advice over the years. Anyway, this should be a fun one, so Let's jump in and get started. All right, welcome to the Visual Scholar Podcast. My name is Tim McBurney. I've been a professional artist for over 20 years. And on this show, we're all about demystifying the worlds of art, creativity and productivity so that you can get better faster and enjoy your artistic journey. A big part of understanding a lot of the challenges that come along with receiving feedback is to understand that often what we're doing in the beginning when we look for feedback is that we're looking for validation. We're looking for someone to kind of tell us the truth, to give us an answer. And often this answer is about, are we good enough? are we doing the right things? Is this okay? And I think often we are to a certain degree seeking external validation if you wanna frame it from a more sort of psychological point of view. We're looking for someone else to tell us whether or not we're valid, whether we're good. And I think there's a number of fundamental challenges with that. But this is often the beginning where What I would do, for instance, is, you know, sit around and, you know, make some art and I'd really be looking for some way to tell whether or not it was good or not. And I don't really know where this idea came from, but I think a lot of it comes from traditional schooling where we are kind of trained that there are right and wrong ways to do things. That is generally the way that that education system functions. You are given tests and there are essays that kind of have predetermined right answers to them. We're not normally trained to experiment and to play in these idea spaces where there isn't really a right or wrong answer. You're just sort of meant to play around and see what happens and that your idea and your vision and the things that you care about are just as important as, you know, what someone who's been dead for 500 years thought about XYZ. And I think that there's a number of reasons for this. Primarily, it's because a lot of education stems from the Industrial Revolution, where they're kind of trying to create semi-sentient, semi-autonomous, kind of uh, autonomous, kind of robotic people to kind of fit as a cog in a machine. And that's a cynical way of putting it. But I think it's been fairly well stated that that is kind of the case. That's why a lot of schooling existed is to kind of create people who were good at fitting into larger machines. Um, I also think that, you know, coming from an educational environment where, you know, I've taught at university slash college um, level um, for quite a while, that there are major challenges when it comes to actually validating or judging Anyone's work when you are playing in an artistic realm, it's one of the biggest challenges, and why in most cases a lot of um, artistic courses and things you can take on, you know, quote capital A art or even even commercial art are really challenging because they tend to try and put you into a box where people can either say yes, this is right or wrong, and in many ways, the real problem with that is that art is about subjectivity. It's about how the viewer feels when they look at it. And every viewer is going to look at our art differently and feel different things. Yet, nevertheless, often what is happening is we are trying to frame this as, look, did you do the right thing? Did you do the right... Um, you know, sequence of, of steps. Uh, you know, did you meet the brief? Did you do this? And and we try and sort of reframe what is a creative process, where again, there's not really necessarily a right answer, into something where there is a right and wrong answer. I think the afterglow of that process has a really strong pull on most people, where we go into the world seeking the same kind of validation, and often. Uh, again, you know, we're, we're put up against situations where we're looking for jobs, or we have some goal in mind. And often there are gatekeepers there that will keep the gate. And they'll tell us, hey, you are not good enough yet to go through this gate, go back and do XYZ until you can kind of go through this gate. I think that there's a lot of utility to that. And obviously, it's not necessarily the worst thing. But I think that there is something about seeking external validation that robs you of a lot of artistic agency. And I think it's often this agency and this feeling of what it means to be an artist that is quite hard for a traditional educational system to teach And it's quite hard for the whole system to kind of teach you to do something like that, which is inherently subjective. And that's a big part of what I think is really important when it comes to feedback, because we're using this frame when we go to even ask other professionals or other people who might understand the creative process a lot better, but... Your answer is only going to be as good as the question that you ask. For example, one of the things that I was often struggling with as someone who was aspiring to be a professional artist, and I aspired to have a lot of craft, I knew that I would receive harsh critiques. I went to a design school where harsh critiques were a big part of the culture. It was very well understood that as a graphic designer, you'd be working for clients and you would get very harsh critiques. People would just say, I don't like this, right? Start again. And that was very much part of the culture, right? If someone didn't like it, they were gonna just basically tell you why it sucked and you had to go scurry away and kind of fix it. So as an artist, again, I was very prepared for the idea of like negative critiques. and that was something I'd heard a lot about. And it's, it's not like I was kind of a babe in the woods, right? Trying to figure out, you know, my way in the world. But, you know, I, I did really find that often one of the biggest challenges I would have is that it was tricky to know how to ask the right question. And often what I'd find is that I would go and ask people who I respected a lot for their opinion on my work. Like, Hey, I've done this piece. What do you think of it? And I I would never really be satisfied with the answer. And I think the biggest thing that I struggled with was trying to figure out, is that me just kind of being a bit of a jerk and not taking on their well-meaning advice? Because again, these are people that I respect. Or is there more to this, right? Am am I, you know, feeling resistance to their feedback because, you know, maybe there is something wrong with it, or maybe I didn't ask the right question. So, you know, as a further example to really drill down, often one of the biggest challenges that I would have as an early artist was that my work wouldn't have enough detail or polish on it. So I'd finish something and I'd get it to a stage where it was, you know, as good as I could possibly make it. I didn't really know what else to do. And I would sort of put it up and, and I'd say, hey, you know, what do you think of this? You know, can you give me some feedback? Uh, and I kind of prepare myself, right? Like, look, you know, this harsh feedback is going to be good. Now, I was never really a fan of like the really harsh feedback. I do appreciate someone structuring it in a nice way, you know. So it's not going to just be this sort of brutalist, like these. Here's the five million ways that you suck, and uh, you know, hopefully that'll inspire you. I think that does inspire some people, but it never really inspired me. But nevertheless, I'm prepared for the feedback. But often, what I would find is that again, people would just kind of say, "Oh, that's not finished," and. My problem was that it's. I knew it was finished. I knew it wasn't finished and it wasn't good enough. But I guess the way that I wanted to finish it and the way that they were telling me to finish it or the things that they were suggesting that I do, they didn't really mesh in my mind. And I think this is where often we can have a lot of resistance. And I think people who do prescribe to the general educational thesis of like, look, just respect the teacher, do what they're suggesting is that, you know, a lot of people will just do that and they will trust the teacher or whoever they're asking for feedback and just do it. And I always had a big challenge with this personally, because again, I knew that my work needed more detail. I knew it needed more polish. People would give me answers that I felt made sense. And a lot of them were to do with like, look, you need more detail. You need to put more stuff in. You need to you know, finish this and here's all the ways that you can do this and here's the resources. And, and again, this is very well-meaning, very high-level feedback and it's the kind of thing that I would take it on. But nevertheless, it never really sort of sat well with me and this was one of the things that I really, really had to figure out along my journey is kind of like, how do we crack this nut? How do I kind of figure out what's going on here and make sure that I know that when I am ignoring this feedback. I'm ignoring it for the right reason. And also, how to get better feedback. Because, again, if I wasn't really happy with that feedback, um, you know, that. In, in in some ways is is my fault, right? I need to take responsibility for that, move it within my sphere of influence and try and make sure that I can get control of it in some way. Um, but anyway, this is one of the hardest things that I think I really had to figure out as a beginner. So I always felt as if, again, there was a little bit of like a threshold there where I wasn't really understanding the world properly. Something wasn't quite clicking. And I would say even though I'm someone who is fairly aware of all these concepts, as I said, uh, the idea of the harsh feedback, knowing how to take harsh feedback, understanding that there's not necessarily going to be a right or wrong answer, I think nevertheless, one of the things that I really had to let go of, and I think that a lot of artists need to let go of is this idea of the right answer. It could be incredibly challenging to be framing things this way because there's a fundamental mismatch with how that kind of overlaps with the artistic experience. The idea that there is going to be a right answer, that someone's going to be able to, you know, necessarily give you the answer to that you're seeking is not necessarily like that. There's no real reason for that to be true. These things are a lot more subjective. And in many ways, that's because the question that's being asked is one that is verbal. So we're already passing things a little bit into the verbal realm to try and understand how to receive the feedback. Now, sometimes if people paint over your work, then that can be a good non-verbal way to receive feedback. And that can be more artistic and more useful. But Again, you know, I would often find that there would be challenges with that as well. Someone would paint over it and be like, well, that looks kind of cool. It still looks better than mine, but it's not really what I wanted to do. So we fundamentally have this challenge that a big part of what we're trying to do is better our own ability to turn our imagination or our vision, our artistic soul into something real that people can look at. We need to know how to make that better. And the challenge is how to use other people to help us do that. I think it's critical that at some point we let go of a lot of this baggage of traditional Western education and just concepts of right and wrong when it comes to art. And I think this is something that people can intuitively understand and that they can receive feedback and pass it this way. But I know from coaching a lot of students and teaching a lot of students over the years that some people really get hung up on this um, and they're really seeking this kind of right or wrong answer. And even though, again, as I said, I feel like I was, you know, not necessarily that simplistic, I, I still craved that feeling of approval right of, of someone validating it and I think this stemmed very much from hearing these stories of you know comic book artists going through the process of learning and getting critiques and um, you know understanding that they they still sucked and they needed to get better and then at some point kind of breaking into the industry right there's all these stories of like someone finally broke break in and then at that point like they're professional again as I've explained previously on the channel like I've never really felt any point where I've sort of broken in and it's made any difference. I'm still me. I'm still sitting there. I'm like, okay, now I've broken in. It's still me. It's, it's you know, no different to me who was unbroken in the day before. Um, it's a continuum. And I think that, again, I was still hanging on to that idea. And I see a lot of people still hanging on to that idea of like, is this right? Is this wrong? Can I, you know, get approval or, you know, can someone tell me what to do? Can I be good at this, right? Right. And I think a a fundamental thing that we need to do to kind of get past that sort of threshold, that level of resistance, is to really reframe what a lot of being an artist is and to understand that it is a little bit more subjective than that. And a lot of it is more about the, you know, the uncomfort and the discomfort that can come from knowing that you are the only one who can know what is really right or wrong about your work. Now, the reason why I think it's so important to move beyond that type of thinking is that there are a lot of problematic issues with the idea of receiving feedback in a right or wrong framework. And We'll unpack this a little bit more as we go, but typically people who are giving you solutions and sort of claiming easy right or wrong answers or clear directions when it comes to something that is fundamentally artistic and about your artistic expression, even when you're aiming to be a professional, right, and there maybe are very clear guidelines about what you do and don't need to do as a job, one of the reasons you often get hired to do a job like that in the first place is because you have some sense of artistic vision and it's your ability to meld that internal dialogue, your internal creativity, your internal voice to meld that with the job and to understand how to give your own little spin and your own little sort of secret source to what are quite mechanistic sort of craft-based craft based design activities often. So often when there are kind of right processes and there are quite clear goals. It's your ability to deviate from those slightly that will often set you apart and is often the thing that, you know, often I think we as artists admire about other artists who are quite good. Now, the thing there is that I really feel like anyone who is kind of offering you very clear, simple steps like, hey, just do this or do that, Uh, this is right or this is wrong, you know, this is the secret to this, often... I think there's not a lot of good outcome there. These things are often being offered and suggested to make you sort of consume some type of content and to try and make it feel easy and as if someone has the answer to something being easy. So typically I find from my experience that the truth is a little bit more complicated. It's a little bit more nuanced. And if you try and think about, look, how do I be safe? how do I do this the right or wrong way? Then the answer is not often there. The other thing that I've kind of come to realize after doing this for quite a while is that often the gatekeepers who are sitting there saying, now you're good enough. Now you're not good enough. Go back until you can do this, you know, simple set of things, or you can modify your work to fit what's right, um, and this could be publishing gatekeepers, um, people who are hiring you to do jobs, is that often as part of that process, they are looking out for what makes their life easier. And they're grooming you and preparing you to work within their hierarchical system. And the the process of seeking that approval from a gatekeeper, yes, they let you in if you do all the things, but To some degree, you kind of lose yourself in the process of grooming yourself to go through that gate. And they really only have their own interests um, in mind when they're doing this. And you have to be very wary of just constantly seeking external validation as an artist. You might get to a point where, yes, you get inside a gate, you get published, you get a job. But you kind of had to do what they wanted in order to get there. And even though they said that's what they want, it's not really the series and process of self-development that's going to get you probably where you want to be. It's going to get you into a point where you're able to do what they want. And I know that sounds a little bit cynical, but that's really an, an apologies, a little bit abstract. But I think this is something really, really fundamental about the artistic journey is that often these gatekeepers and these people who are, you know, setting themselves up to judge whether or not we're good enough to do a particular thing, they're often kind of serving their own interests and their interests don't always overlay with ours. I guess there'd there'd probably be two ways we could just kind of outline that just to unpack it a little bit more. The first would be that the gatekeeper is defining a hierarchy and a pattern of power structure. So they are defining a situation whereby they are in control. they're giving you a brief, they're telling you what is and isn't wrong, and you are someone who is subserviently following along, right? Saying like, "Oh yes, no. It's not an equal partnership. and it often takes uh, authors uh, you know, a long time to gain power and claw power back in those situations to the point where they can actually have some creative freedom. The other side of that, the second thing there is that obviously a big part of that is because often artists who are, you know, saying, hey, I know what's right and what's wrong is that, you know, people are, you know, tending for the avant-garde and often the avant-garde doesn't sell, right? And it's not that successful in the marketplace. And often what gatekeepers are trying to do is to groom you to be able to produce work that is going to perform in the marketplace better as they see fit. But again, it is very much limited to their understanding of what succeeds and it's not a full living, breathing version of what success for whatever artistic endeavor you're trying to create. Could be illustration, right for a cover. Oh, cover needs to do XYZ, needs to be bright and colorful because that's what the person who's hiring you knows it's the only way they know how to do it. You know, I've heard lots of these rules where it's like, oh, you need lots of diagonals, lots of triangles in covers because that feels more dynamic. I'm like, well, that's true. There's probably other ways to make people look at your cover though. But because people are viewing things a certain way and they know that's what will work, it's a very simple case of, you know, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. Now, again, that's a bit of a double-edged sword because they're going to train you. And as part of the gatekeeping scenario, they're going to train you to produce work, which will perform in a marketplace, but it's very limited and it's very much their view of what that is. And you may find that maybe you have another view that is also so, also going to be successful in the marketplace, but doesn't necessarily follow the same rules that they found are successful. And in order to go through that gate, you have to leave that behind. And often it can be quite challenging to years later get that back. Whereas in the beginning, you kind of just had it in the first place. This is certainly something that I've seen mirrored in a traditional educational environment. One of the major goals that you have as a teacher is, you know, kind of to survive, to get to make sure that you're not constantly fighting with students and, um, And a big part of how people do this is to try and project power, to create a sort of environment of hierarchy where the teacher is right, the student is wrong, you have to do X, Y, Z to pass. And it's a lot easier to lean into that hierarchical situation as a teacher. We're also incentivized because often students are asking us for right and wrong solutions. So you tend to get a kind of a pattern in a teaching environment that heads towards sort of, you know, very sort of agreeable right or wrong solutions to problems, let's say i.e., you know, this is what successful illustration looks like. This is what a successful spot illustration looks like. This is what a cover needs to be. This is how good composition is. This is how a good storyboard works. Here are the rules for story in general. Here are the things that don't work and do work. Let's all agree on those. And then everyone's kind of happier because we're not dealing with the muck and the mess and the chaos that is often real creativity. I found it much better to actually just look at what people are doing look at what artists that I admire actually were doing as much as possible and look at what they are saying not necessarily what they recommend young artists are doing, but really to look at their careers and see how they approach problems and, you know, look at the people who have become successful doing similar types of things that I wanted to do and people who, you know, have succeeded well with a high degree of both artistic sophistication, um, success in the marketplace and, you know, a feeling of, of avant-garde, of all those things that artists tend to admire, of like pushing boundaries and doing things a little bit different. Look at kind of what their attitude is. How do they approach things? How do they think about these concepts of gatekeepers versus not gatekeepers? I think that that is potentially a much better way to get a, get a handle on the types of behaviors that are maybe going to get you the kind of success you actually want. A fundamental building block that underlies why a lot of these things happen, why we go looking for gatekeepers, why we go looking for feedback, why we go looking for right answers and to know that we're doing the right thing, we're on the right path, is fear. I think that It is inherently a little bit terrifying to create art. It's very scary in the beginning to be an artist who, you know, you often know you're not that good and you know that other people know you're not that good, but you have big aspirations. You have big ideas. It's a matter of working on your ability to realize them. This is inherently scary. It is, I think, inherently terrifying. And there's an inherent sense of apprehension when it comes to being an artist and making something based on an idea of yours and then putting it out into the world and seeing what people say, I think as much as possible, we would like to get an answer to whether or not that's going to succeed or fail before we complete it. And I think it's often these fears that lead us towards trying to, you know, go down paths where there are gatekeepers, where we can get a really strong sense of like, look, is this gonna is this gonna fail? Am I just crazy? Uh, you know, can, can I can I can I limit that amount of fear? <laughs> can, can I limit the degree to which I could fail potentially? Um, and is there some safety there? So I think there's again these dualities of the experience of an artist where it is just inherently um, sort of anxiety inducing, you know, to create work and you know be unsure how people are going to receive it. And then the feeling of, again, wanting to have safety of that feeling of like, oh, you know, I am relaxed because everyone kind of knows who I am. I think a lot of these feelings probably harken back to all of our social upbringings as mammals. It's very scary to get on stage because if you get on stage and you say the wrong thing, everyone thinks you're an idiot. And, you know, potentially if you go back probably to the, uh, you know, the, the older mammalian, lineage that we have, um, you know, you might get killed, right? You might, if you say the wrong thing, if you do the wrong thing, if you step out of line, if you make a mistake, socially that can be really damaging in, in small groups. And so I think we have a fear of speaking our mind because a big part of what we're always trying to do is gauge what is the social beast thinking and how do we stay within the bounds of that? Right How do we you know stay well inside the Oberton window in terms of politics? How do we gauge whether or not someone's going to take this the wrong way? These are real real worries that I think people would have that are very deeply rooted. And I think a big part of being an artist is understanding how to manage that, how to manage the fear, how to approach it. And again, if you have any study of fear, you know that people who are very brave, who do things that other people couldn't because they would be too afraid, people who risk their lives. They're not necessarily saying that they do it without fear. It's that the fear is there. You just learn to live with it. You learn to sit with it. You learn to kind of make it your friend. Now. I think that one of the main reasons, obviously, that we're seeking this kind of fake feedback, these preliminary steps, this sort of toe in the water of does this suck is because this kind of pre-feedback asking people, am I good? You know, how can I be better? It avoids us coming into contact with real feedback, as I said, which is where you put your work out into the world and it gets a response. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem is that real feedback is all around you. If you are going to show your work in a gallery, you're sitting there working on your piece, if it's a group show or your series of pieces, if it's a solo show, you're putting a lot of energy and effort into thinking about this thing. And there's this event that occurs where you put it on a wall, you hang the work, and then you're putting it up for judging. And it gets judged. And it's often not even that we're worried about it getting negative feedback, because often, you know, a lot of artists have thrived on getting negative feedback. The real fear is often that no one notices, no one cares, no one has anything to say at all. And there's a there's a wide variety of situations where again you're you're putting your work out there and Maybe what we fear is, you know, that negative result, right? We're worried about, you know, saying the wrong thing. But normally what happens is nothing. No one cares. No one says anything. And I think that can be one of the biggest challenges is we're trying to, you know, avoid that real feedback where you don't really know what's wrong. There's just a void of feedback in general, and you have to go back to the drawing board and try and figure out what to do next. This idea of real feedback, though, I think is one of the primary keys to this whole issue. Real feedback is when you hang the painting. It's when someone is going to read the first page of your novel. It's when someone's scrolling through a sea of random content and they see your image. What happens then? That really is the feedback and that's often what we're training to do in the first place. If you get hired to do a job, that is really the job that is trying to be achieved. If you are painting or creating an image for a cover for a book or a magazine or anything, a hero image for a video game, a splash screen, what you're trying to do is to stand out to get that feedback where someone sees it and they think, wow, that looks cool. I'm going to check that out. Or whatever the response might be. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that before. Or, what is that? There's a wide variety of feedback that maybe we're trying to engender. And the feedback that we get is real, right? And it's often all around us. And especially these days, it's very easy to get feedback. A lot of what we get is nothing. Again, you put your work onto the internet, you put it up out into the world, and what you get back is zero, Either way, I think it is this idea of trying to get fake feedback before we get real feedback to make sure that we can somehow magically solve this puzzle of getting someone to pay attention to our art, to feel the right things and to appreciate what we were trying to say in the first place it's important to appreciate that feedback and real feedback is all around you as an artist, especially today. And I think the most important thing is not necessarily to go looking for gatekeepers, but to really figure out what feedback to listen to and when you get it, how to take it, how to incorporate it into your art and get you to the next level. A lot of this comes down to the crux of the matter, which is that I think what you find is there is no safe road. There is no real answer to make sure that every time you say something, it's going to land properly. There is an inherent uncertainty to the job and the life of an artist. You never really know what you're creating is going to work. And in many ways, if people are looking for you to say something meaningful you don't want to say the same thing again. If you see an artist who, you know, becomes really good at doing one thing and they get a lot of feedback, hey, I'm painting, um, you know, flowers and birds and everyone really loves my flowers and birds and then I just do more and more. If there's a point where that artist isn't pushing themselves or trying to think about the work, if they're not engaged, if they are actually taking the safe road, if they are actually secure, if they're not emotionally taking risks and engaging in the fear of creation, the work often appears stale. And I think that that's often one of the problems that we are challenged with is that people actually want us to be pushing boundaries to a certain degree. Maybe not as much as artists might want to push boundaries, but we need to be engaged with the work. We need to have that feeling of uncertainty, I think, in order to actually get the energy onto the page. And to a certain degree, this is what people are looking for when they actually look for art to give them some inspiration. They're looking for us to share that creation process, to share the uncertainty, to see something different because maybe they couldn't see that, maybe they couldn't think about it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be some profound, um, you know, complete cathartic you know upending of your world it's just often people like art and entertainment and things to take them to another place so that they can reframe the world they can rest their mind they can look at something and say oh i never thought about it that way or oh you know that sort of you know affected me some way and because that affected me it you know helped me out in some little way throughout the day it's often this, the uncertainty and the artistic chaos that we're sharing with people. And I think that's often what they appreciate. There's not really any safe road. There's no free lunch. There's no easy way to do this. If you take the safe road, often we create lifeless, safe art. And no one is really that interested in that. You have to find some way to share that creation, the chaos with the world because i think that's often what they're actually looking for. I think this applies no matter whether you're trying to create cozy predictable art or something that is really avant-garde. Either way people are looking for some kind of emotional hit. You need to really feel vulnerable when you're creating cozy art. You need to, you know, get in touch with the emotions there. The feeling of being, you know, safe, secure, You need to go to, you know, a strange place. You need to open yourself up and someone might say, hey, you know, that's stupid. And then you would feel really bad because that cozy art represents, you know, your inner child, right? Your inner feeling of safety. Someone can tread all over that in the public sphere, You know, in a similar way, I think if you are being avant-garde, what people are looking for, again, is to walk into a modern art museum and see something that's going to challenge them to get them thinking bigger so that, again, they see you thinking bigger and then they're looking at and they're thinking these things. And it might be very challenging for them to think that on their own. They're kind of looking for you to embrace the fear and the challenge and to do crazy stuff. And even if it might seem weird, they're going to appreciate that you've kind of put yourself out there because maybe that inspires them to do the same thing, to be brash, to be crazy, you know, to say the wrong thing. And maybe that's okay because, hey, look, there it is on a wall. It's kind of stupid, but, you know, it's got a frame around it. It's here, so it must be art. The crux of this is that being an artist is about having something to say, something unique to say. It's about having your own artistic vision your own voice and there's no real other way around this that is kind of the whole point and really there's no one who can give you feedback to really understand where you want to go and how to express that creative vision other than yourself okay so you might be saying that sounds good but maybe it's a little bit airy-fairy maybe it's a little bit too artistic which is a fair critique let's say now I think it it is important to state that obviously seeking feedback and the idea of feedback is important. We do want to find things that can help us improve as artists. The trick is that that's quite a challenging thing to do. If you think about it, if you take into consideration all the things I've said, hopefully the challenge of this is becoming apparent. So I think the real key here is to understand that you need to have a strong idea of who you actually are as an artist. Even if you're just starting out, there's a lot of things that I take personally that I've had you know, forever. There are things that I think about the world, about art, what I like, what I don't like. They haven't changed over the last 30, 35 years. They're still there. There's that core of what we care about, who we think, you know, we are and what is important. It's important to take that and move it forward and understand that that is kind of the lens that we view the world and the feedback that we get through. So yes, we can get feedback, but it's important to understand that both when we receive feedback, either real feedback, someone looks at our painting on the wall and they say nothing They look at it and they hate it. They look at it and they love it. Whatever it is, we need to understand how to frame that. How, like, is that the thing that I wanted to say? Did I want it to be liked? Did I want it to be, did I want to challenge people? Did I want to piss people off? Did I want to stir the pot? Um... What did I want to achieve? Am I trying to create work that really shocks people, right? Am I trying to create cozy art that maybe someone wants to put as wallpaper on their computer or their phone or, you know, have as a nice poster that's completely benign, but nevertheless, you know, makes people feel a little bit better each day. It's this intent. It's this understanding of what you're trying to do and what you stand for that will frame your understanding of what people are giving you feedback for. And I think you need to understand this, again, for that actual organic feedback and also maybe for unsolicited feedback that people might give you. You need to be able to filter that and the vision and your understanding of who you are and what you want to do as an artist that you will refine over time, that you will solidify over time for sure, that you might change and modify over time for sure. But nevertheless, that vision is the thing that will help you to filter and understand the feedback that you're getting from other people. It might be solicited or unsolicited. Now, the second key here is really to understand that so much of this relies on you understanding where you want to go and being able to communicate that to people so that when they do give you feedback, the feedback is given in a way that they understand where you actually want to go, right? It's very, very simple. But this is the number one mistake that I feel like people often have is that they are not really truly understanding that there's a million ways you can improve your art. What I need as a teacher is to really get a feel for where you are going. Who are you? What are you trying to do? Are you trying to piss people off? Are you trying to be nice? Are you trying to please everyone? Uh, you know, Are you trying to be the next Picasso Who are you? Where do you want to go with this? Do you want to create ugly art? Do you want to create pretty art? Do you want to create horrific art? Do you really want to scare people? Do you want to make people delighted? Do you want a lot of color? Do you want a lot of realism? What do you want to do? If you tell me that, then I can help you. If you don't tell me that, often what happens is I might give you correct advice on how to improve your art to be the type of art that you don't want it to be in which case it's well-meaning, good feedback. Um, if you follow it though, you will be very miserable. You will be very unhappy because it's not going to get you where you want. And I think so much of artistic angst and frustration with the educational process really you know, revolves around this one simple issue is that we often don't have time to either understand or meditate on where we want to go. And we're often not really afforded personal feedback that would allow that to occur. So This is something that you have to take on as an artist to really embody as part of your responsibility to communicate to people who you are engaging with, where you want to go and to really try and ask them specific questions so that when they give you advice, you can kind of tell, do they listen to me? Do they actually understand what I said? And so that, you know, if they are really well-meaning and quite skilled, they're going to be able to give you feedback that's actually going to be able to help you to go where you want. And also, again, if you're receiving feedback in one of these more automated situations, like a traditional educational environment, you got to know like, hey, this teacher doesn't know me. They don't really understand what I'm trying to do. How can I learn from them anyway? How can I take something from this? I'm going to ignore pretty much most of it because I know they don't really understand where I want to go and they probably couldn't teach me how to go where I want to go anyway. They're just a different type of person. That's totally fine. The more appreciation for that, I think the better. The real key there is to appreciate when that's happening and then to just dismiss the feedback that is just obviously not, you know, going to get you where you want to go. Um, there's obviously a danger with that, right? You do need to appreciate that sometimes people are going to tell you things you don't want to hear, right? People often don't want to hear they need to work on their foundation, Um, you know, that, you know, their art needs more structure or any of these things. But again, it's complicated. It's nuanced. It's something you have to take responsibility for. But if you give responsibility to the gatekeeper in this instance, you're really giving away your artistic vision and your ability, I think, to make more impact in the long run. So, if we go back to the story I was telling about Maya not being finished enough and I would constantly get this feedback like, oh, that looks great. I can't wait for you to finish it. and I'd be like, it's finished. I don't know what to do. Now, if you take work that feels unfinished and you ask most people, what should you do with it? It's like drum roll, da, 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 da. what should you do? You should add more detail, Right. Now, there's a number of things that I sort of learned that I needed to get better at to add detail. And I certainly did work at adding more detail. Um, A big part of what I've sort of, you know, learned to teach is to understand that a lot, much of many of these issues come down to our appreciation for secondary form and, and understanding how to build out detail, what it actually means. It's not necessarily a matter of just adding more lines, right? That often just makes things look worse. It's really a matter of understanding structure. But I went through lots of these journeys and one of the solutions that I found a lot later, and this is one of the reasons why, again, if you look at some of the later work, it's a lot simpler, is because I kind of realized that part of me is that I don't have patience and I like sketchy work. I'd always be looking at artists like Frank Frazetta, Harakai Samura. I'd love collecting people's sketchbooks, their rough work. I love speed paintings. I love all this stuff. And I think a lot of artists do as well. But but I really was trying to figure out how to get this to happen. And, and when I added detail, things looked stiff. They weren't quite working. And I got better at it, and I got better at it. But still, I think my level of patience was not really matching the kind of work that I was doing, let's say, uh, especially when I was trying to do comics. And uh, gatekeepers would sort of say, "Hey, yeah, this stuff is great, but you know, you just need to add more detail. We need this." So again, one of the, th- the solutions that I kind of found to that is what I've been sort of playing around with more recently, or you know, and by that I'd say over the last five years or so, is really trying to simplify the style because I kind of found that creating a clean line French style with flat color was relatively quick to produce. So. I knew that it would match my level of patience, but it feels finished. So even if things are a little bit looser, a little bit wobblier, I'd always be looking at artists who kind of had this thing going where their art was simple, but it felt finished. It was rough, but it felt finished. And I was like, what is that thing that they're doing? And again, I think a lot of people arrive at this in different ways, but the way that I found to solve this was again, to go for a much simpler style that allowed me to get a feeling of polish while not spending heaps of time doing it. And because a primary thing there that makes that style work is the feeling of the line, there's still that feeling of sketchiness, of flowiness, where by drawing it, I feel like it just kind of solves that problem. But it's a very different solution to a lot of the feedback that I would get early on. You know, I frequently get people doing paintovers of my work, you know, saying, do this, do that. It was all right. It was all the right thing to do. It's just that it wasn't going to put me in the right style, the right direction that I needed to go. And a big part of what I've learned, and this is probably subject for a video unto itself, is that style and the styles we choose are often you know, there they're produced and they're created to, you know, fit a series of technical limitations. The reason that Disney animation looks the way that Disney animation did, you know, in the 1940s, you know, up until they moved to 3D is because that's the only way you could kind of do it. They kind of knew like, look, this is the way we can kind of create these, um, you know, sort of uh, plastic cells and, you know, paint these things on it, make it look like it's moving. You know, we can do it in this style and that works. It's the same for most styles, most comic book styles, most stylizations, most techniques, most processes are based around optimizing a particular type of production. So there's often reason things look the way they do, let's say, obviously. And again, I really had to find that. I really had to find the right kind of way of creating work that fitted me and there were many cases where I would, as I've been talking about, listen to gatekeepers and say, oh, I just need to go in this direction. I just need to suck it up and like add more detail. I just need to suck it up and do this. I just need to do this and do that. And again, it's just their way of solving that problem, which is totally valid. And probably 90% of artists would be very happy with that particular feedback. But yeah, you know, I just always found that, you know, I, it was very challenging to find the right people to give me feedback on. And this is why I kind of made this video to kind of underline this, because I've noticed exactly the same thing happen with many, many students and people who I interact with is getting this thing and understanding it is really, really critical. It's super vital for you to understand who you actually are, what kind of art you want to create, how you want to create it, what you're trying to say. Again, are you trying to be nice? Are you Are trying to annoy people? Are you trying to stir the pot? What are you trying to achieve? What's important to you? What are you saying about the world? And then how can you improve your work? What style can you use? What techniques can you use? How can you entertain the eye and get people to feel those same feelings? That is the challenge and there's no one else who can really help you. You have to figure out how to do it yourself and a big part of that is learning how to write, learning how to ask, sorry, the right questions and taking the feedback and figure out who to listen to and who not to listen to. Okay, so before we go, let's just see if we can you know, turn all of that into a couple of simple takeaways. Now, if we look at the first one of those, which is the idea of analytical takeaway, how can we kind of analyze this and sort of think about it more on a thinking level? The thing I really come back to here is that often it's important to understand that people who are going to give you feedback either as a gatekeeper or from some educational institution, etc., are kind of incentivized to give you feedback in a particular way that is kind of going to make their life easy. I know that sounds maybe complicated, but, uh, you know, without sort of going into lots of sort of, uh, you know, arduous details and stories, basically this just, you know, makes sense, right? Like they're really looking out for themselves and maybe if they can help you, they'll help you. But everyone is kind of looking out for themselves and you need to understand that you know, what people's incentives are. You really need to look for people who can help you and need to understand fundamentally that art is about you. It's about self-expression. It's about you pushing boundaries and no one else can really know how you are going to push boundaries or change things or say what you've got in your head. No one can read your mind. No one knows that. They only know how they think you can improve your art, and to find someone who is going to be able to give you a really good answer is a real challenge. It's one of the reasons that I think the modern, you know, YouTube, you know, what we're sort of doing here is so good, is because you know, if if what I'm saying resonates with you, then you know that's great. Um, if it doesn't, you probably are not listening right now. Um, if you are again, um, shout out. Um, let, know, let me know in the comments if uh, you know this is sort of entertaining or being useful, but. Yeah. You know, I think this is really good. You know, you can go and find people who know how to do a particular style, a particular thing and kind of listen to them. I think that's one of the most important things. But yeah, just understand at an analytical level, everyone's got their own incentive structure. Right. And you really need to find people who are aligned with yours. Um, or you need to really direct them and take control of how you give and receive that feedback. If you want a real simple bro way of saying that, it's you need to know where you're going and who you are in order to ask someone to help you how to get there. Right. If we look at this from simple takeaways, right? Like what can you actually do? The first thing to do is to define your vision as much as you can. This is really challenging in the beginning, but, and it's also a little bit amorphous. What I'm seeing here might apply as well, right? I'm telling you to define your vision. You might be like, oh, that doesn't make sense to me. Either way, just try and think about and appreciate, you know, who you are as an artist and what you're trying to do. What kind of feelings are you trying to engender? What other artists do you like? Um, You know, what type of, you know, styles do they use? A lot of this stuff can be really simple. Just look at the stuff you like. Look at who you are as an artist. You know, what kind of genre of art do you like? What type of movements do you like? Really understand where you want to go. The second thing is to just make sure you actually define the questions you ask if you are looking for feedback. If you're emailing someone, again, like me or someone else, you're like, hey, you know, I want feedback because of this. A a big part of the success that you're going to receive with an answer, both because it's going to make it easier for people to give you a good answer and because you're actually going to get one that's useful, is to frame the question properly. I'm trying to do this with my art, you know, how can, you know, here's where it is, here's where I want to go. You know, how can, can you give me some advice to help me get there? That's one of the reasons I often make an influence map and and really setting that stuff up in the beginning of all the courses that I do such a a key part because it helps to contextualize all of the journey that's going to happen from then on. The third thing to do is to figure out how to filter feedback. Now, this could be feedback of any kind, but obviously, you have to get really good at knowing whether or not that person is, you know, aligned with what you're trying to do. Even if it's just a lay person looking at your work and giving you negative or positive feedback – you have to understand like what you're trying to achieve and you have to be confident in that vision. If someone's giving you feedback to say, hey, you know, again, this needs more detail, this needs more color, this needs more that. It's like if, if you know that your road to success doesn't include that, then I think you can confidently kind of say like, hey, it's a really good point, but you know, it's just not really where I'm trying to go. Now, this is, I think, the trickiest part because really a big part of this is taking on board the responsibility for your work getting better. And this is where you have to make those decisions to know, hey, should I just ignore this? Because this is a well-meaning critique. It's just not really where I want to go. You could say that about a lot of good critiques where someone's saying, hey, you know, you need to study anatomy, you need to study your foundation, you need to study perspective. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people just go like, ah, you don't know what you're talking about, right? And I'm like, ah, if you just did what I said, you know, your art would get so much better. You know, that's a really tricky one. There's not necessarily a good answer there because I don't know. Maybe they don't care about that. Maybe they'll find success without me. Maybe they know something I don't know. Maybe they got it figured out. Um, you know, I do know a lot of really successful artists who, you know, make really good stuff, who don't really value the foundation that much. They just figure out how to do it. They draw a lot, they get better. They figure out what people like, you know, it kind of works. We're all different there, but you do need to appreciate the balance there of understanding like, Hey, you know, is there anything I can take from this feedback? How can I be humble about this? How can I, you know, go in with a mindset of constant, um, you know, incremental improvement? Um, There is a degree to where you really have to, you know, dice this one fine and understand the difference between a critique that is going to, you know, put you in the right direction or is just going to derail you and tell you to do a whole bunch of stuff that isn't actually what you want to do. Your vision is the thing that will help you filter that again, because it's important to understand that the road to your final artistic vision may involve you hearing harsh truths. Again, for me to figure out how to, you know, use flatter and flatter color, I had to have a lot of people tell me to, you know, like stop putting in detail and I would I still do this. I still put a lot of texture and detail into my work, right? But I would kind of try and do this and I'd say, "Hey, you know, look, I'm trying to make this simpler. Here it is." And they'd be like, yeah, it's still too complicated. You're still putting more detail in. I'm like, oh man, look, I you know I stripped it way back. It's like bare bones, and they're just like, nah, it's way too complicated. You're still adding way too much detail. Look at all this rendering you're putting there, and I'm like, well, I'm not putting much rendering. Again, I I, I really needed some feedback at that point from people who I respected and understood simpler styles to just kind of say like, no, it looks good when you just don't have any of that junk in there, and I just kind of didn't believe it because so much of my understanding of how to make art was based around sort of adding detail, adding rendering. So it was very challenging for me personally to figure out how to kind of get to where I'm like, now I'm like, oh, I can't quite enjoy doing this. And I feel like this is a good solution, but the road there involved many harsh truths and many times where I would, you know, listen to people and be like, ah, oh, freaking hell. Um, you know, again, I really thought I'd sort of figured this out. And, and again, dicing those is so important. Understanding when to zig and when to zag with your artistic development is really most of the challenge. Finally, if we just quickly look at this from a philosophical slash spiritual point of view, I think that it can be very scary to let go of the idea of there being a right or wrong way to create art or again, right or wrong ways to do anything. So much of what works on YouTube and the internet these days is creating a lot of drama and a lot of hype about is this right or that right? You know, don't do this or do this. Most of that stuff is just garbage, right? I mean, that's my staying from clicking on most of it, as, as interesting as it sounds, it's one of the reasons I try to not do that as much as possible, though YouTube really likes to try and make stuff feel clickbaity. But, you know, a lot of the truth is in the middle, right? It's about what you think, it's not necessarily about these binary, you know, one thing versus another thing. A lot of the truth is in the middle, it's subjective, Um, you know, there's not necessarily some one answer where you can do everything right. You're having to let go of particular things to get other things working well. And it's always a, a, a series of compromises, right? So I think that can be challenging, but it's also important to understand that that is what being an artist is, you know, the capital A artist. Again, you might be working in video games, you know, doing icons or something very mundane, but, The way that you make that artistic and the way that you add value to that is often through your understanding of all these other bits and pieces that make up your internal um, psychology, right, that allow you to handle these creative things. It's what allows you to make those little things 10% better. And maybe what will allow you to do something more interesting if you want to do it later on is working with that and developing that these things, I think, are what people look for in art. They want to see people handling these challenging environments and to see the challenge and the the drama and the emotion involved in that. And that uncertainty and that fear is, although maybe uncomfortable, I think it's something that we have to learn to live with and embrace because it's kind of what makes life a little bit exciting. All right. Anyway, that's all we've got time for on this one. Hopefully, this was an interesting meandering sort of essay a thought experiment on the idea of feedback and how we can use it to get better or worse at art. Let me know in the comments down below, if you're looking on YouTube, what you thought of this, if you've got any sort of suggestions or ideas, I'd love to hear your advice. Um, leave me a review on podcast platforms. If you can, that really helps like subscribe, etc. all that stuff really helps with the channel. So again, even if you just, you know, have a random sort of comment thought, you know, just put it down. YouTube does like that. Um, or, you know, if you you know think that maybe someone else you know some other artist you know might uh, benefit from this little talk you know send it over share it around but uh, yeah anyway other than that we will uh, catch around on the next one